turn to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read verses 29 through 36. Got up yesterday morning. I usually like to study for my Sunday morning sermon on Friday morning. I'm kind of an organized person that way. And so I have my notes and my thoughts, then I come together and I let them gel. Then I work a little bit on it on Saturday morning. But um, with Revival Week and just different things, I wasn't able to really study until Saturday morning. And I had a few thoughts, and so I, I sat down and said, I'm going to have to cram it all in, you know, this morning. And so I started writing my sermon, and then God said, I want you to preach something else. And, and God knows that I'm not good at this. It's not like, hey, I'm not starting from square one, you know. And so I, I was, may preach the other message on Wednesday night. We'll see. But, but I was talking about the story of Exodus, and, and one of my thoughts was going to be, how we are liberated to serve, and then God set us free to serve, and I don't want to give too much away, because I'll probably preach that on Wednesday. But I was talking about how God liberated the children of Israel out of Egypt, and how it was a dramatic story. Then I flashed to an old sermon. I, I don't even remember any of the sermon. I just remember the phrase, and I don't remember who it was that preached it. But they talked about how that God is a dramatic God. And that we, God does dramatic things in his people. And God said, that's your sermon today. I said, okay. So my sermon today is we serve a dramatic God. And the story of Exodus is a dramatic story. Many stories, stories in the Bible are dramatic stories. They're not just only, they're dramatic stories. And sometimes God does big dramatic things. Sometimes God does small dramatic things. Evangelist Joaquin Roscoe was here the last day, Wednesday. He decides to go for a walk out of his hotel. He's walking down the street. He sees a woman that has a Raiders tattoo on her arm. And so he's, you know, he says, hey, are you a Raiders fan? And so he looks at her, and he realizes a girl used to go to his church in San Diego. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a God thing. That's like a dramatic thing. The last time he saw her, she was in San Diego. She, you know, was never really uh, somebody that was really, you know, uh, cemented or established in the things of God. But he sees her and he says, hey, you know, I know you. And what's the chances of somebody that once pastored in San Diego and she went to his church, Athens, Georgia, he's preaching a revival, runs into her. That's dramatic to me. To me, that, that just blows my mind. It just goes to show you how organized God is. God knows what he's doing. And when you look back at your own life, you say, well, I never had a Red Sea experience. Well, what it took to get us out of sin was pretty dramatic. You ever see yourself, I mean, sitting in church and you're worshiping God with the crowd we are today, you think, how did I ever get here? What am I doing here? You know what I mean? And you look at your life before salvation, you think, I can't believe I'm here. It's surreal. It's dramatic the way God has redeemed you and given you a new life. So let's go ahead and read. You know, before I do, I came up with this scripture this morning. I was thinking about it. And um, God, the, God's prophecy of this event of the children of Israel going out of Egypt, to, God prophesied this to Abram in the book of Genesis 400 years before it happened. And this was a dramatic moment. 
In Genesis 15, 12 through 14, you know, Abraham had made a sacrifice to God. If you remember that story, he chases the vultures away to keep the vultures from coming down and taking the sacrifice. And it says in Genesis 15, 12 through 14, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. God told Abraham this with the book of Genesis. So now, fast forward 400 years later, and we pick up the story. Exodus 12. And one of the things about that encounter with Abraham is that, and one of the things that's always struck me is that, it says, horror and great darkness fell upon Abram. I believe that was the very presence of God and the holiness of God coming upon his life, revealing him a plan and the purpose for the people of God. It was not a darkness that was demonic. It was, a, it was the horror of the holiness of God fell upon his life. Anyway, let's read Exodus 12. 29 through 36. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all of his servants, uh, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up and their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." You know, God does dramatic things in his people. Just think about this. The children of Israel have been in bondage for 400 years. And now God is setting them free. And they're not just going out with the clothes on their backs. They're going out with gold and silver and all the Egyptians' clothes. They're taking all their Armani's, you know, all their... All their uh, Karen, what's her name? Karen Spade or whatever her name is. They're taking all their great clothes. Don't know all those names. Need help. But God just blesses them. They go out with all oh, this is this is dramatic. Just a few days before, they're they're struggling in in you know, under the hard burdens of Pharaoh, the taskmaster, they made it worse on them. And now they're going out with all the plundered the Egyptians. This is a dramatic moment. They're delivered out of Egypt. Pharaoh begins to chase them. Because he's insane like the rest of our world today. Like you haven't, God hasn't, there's ten curses. You know, you don't get it yet, dude. 
It says in Exodus 14, 10 through 10, When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And so here's, you know, they're getting out and they, they, they've taken all this blessing, but now Pharaoh begins to chase them. How many of you know when you come out of sin, your old life wants to chase you? Those old boyfriends, girlfriends, that old life, that old nature, your old habits, they want to chase you down. Exodus 14, 21 through 23, then Moses stretched out his hand and go through the Red Sea. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left and the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen and so God parceled their, their backs are up against the wall of the Red Sea they have nowhere to go the armies are chasing them and God parts the Red Seas with the waters standing on the right and the waters standing they're, they're walking through on dry ground with these waters that are just standing there probably looking at the fish in the sea like an aquarium with, with, with no walls It says, then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 14, 26 through 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came to the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. God is a dramatic God. That's a dramatic event. They're chased by Pharaoh. God opens the Red Sea. They get through to the other side. Pharaoh's still chasing them. They watch the waters close in on Pharaoh and his army. And they see all the dead bodies on the... God is a dramatic God. You know, when we're confronted with what seems to be impossible problems... We need to remember that God's a dramatic God. People throughout the Bible in times of difficulty often remembered what God has done in his people when they're facing their circumstances in life. When they're facing a difficulty, they go back to what God had done before. When Nehemiah is trying to rebuild a destroyed temple, it's totally torn down. Not only is he trying to rebuild the temple, but he's being attacked Amen. On the outside, he's being attacked. God's people don't really want to be engaged in it. And he's, he's just having this big affliction. And he reminds himself of God being a dramatic God. 
And in Nehemiah 9, 9 through 15, you saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night, and you gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commandments and commanded them your precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. All these were dramatic things that God did. God, we're hungry. Okay, how about bread from heaven? God, we're thirsty. Strike the rock. And there was water flowed out of the rock. God's dramatic. He's a dramatic God. He does dramatic things. See, maybe some of you need to do that today. Remind yourself what God's done in your past as you face your current impossibility, as you face your current crisis, your current, I have no idea, I'm up, my back is up against the wall. God's a dramatic God, and he can move. You know, sometimes God is so dramatic, it seems surreal. By surreal, I mean, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't seem like it's real. It doesn't seem like it could be possibly happening. This is a biblical thing. In Psalm 126, 1 through 3, it says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. He said, you know, when God started to move, it just seemed so good, too good to be real. We were like those who dream." had a surreal quality to it. I was fellowshipping with Evangelist Joaquin, and, and uh, he was asking me, what are some of the greatest places I've been to? And I didn't really, you know, I've been to a lot of places, but does any stand out? And I just told him about a night that and actually happened here in America as I was preaching in, I was Evangelist, so I was preaching in um, somewhere in central California, but we went to Santa Maria. Santa Maria, California is very close to Pismo Beach. Pismo Beach, very beautiful place on its own. But we went there one night, the last night of the revival, and so we had, uh, we had dinner there, and he said, hey, let's go walk out on the pier. They just built a brand new pier. And we went out and walked down the pier, and it was, it was a full moon. Everything was calm, but the waves, because the full moon was pulling on the waves, the waves were like huge. And it wasn't like a stormy type thing. It was just like, I don't know how to describe it other than the, the sky is clear. There's a full moon. These huge waves are coming in. It felt like you were walking into a postcard. You know how they take those postcards of the beaches and they, and they, you know, they, they, you know, they change them to, uh, to just make them look like something they're not. That's what we felt like we were walking into. It didn't feel real. It felt, and he even, even the pastor was with me. He said, "Man, this is this is crazy. I've I've been out here several times. I've never seen it like this. This is like surreal." 
You know, when God moves, it can seem surreal. When Peter's in prison in Acts chapter 12, says he was kept in prison, but they, uh, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So Peter's being set free from prison. He's going like, I don't even know if this is real or not. Is this, am I just like experiencing some kind of vision? No, this was real life. But God's so dramatic that it seemed unreal to him. As a matter of fact, it seemed unreal to the people who were praying for him. In Acts chapter 12, 12 through 16, it says, So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary. So he gets out of jail. And the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, there were many gathered together praying, praying for him to get out of jail. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and, they were, and when they opened the door, they saw him, they were astonished. So here's the very thing they're praying for. And so he shows up at the door, and they're praying, God set Peter free. He's here at the door. No, it can't be true. God set him free. <laughs> you know, it seems crazy, doesn't it? They're sitting there praying, you know, God set him free. He's here? No, he's like, no, you're crazy, girl. Sometimes God's so dramatic, we have a hard time believing it. See, God does dramatic things through individuals, too. It's not just groups of people. It's easy to believe that God does dramatic things in his people. But what about me as an individual? What about my drama? I need a dramatic God right now. I got some drama in my life. David facing Goliath. Everybody, you know, everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. What do you hear ESPN say? This is a regular David versus Goliath game. You know, there's no way that they're going to be able to stand up against that team. There's no way this fight is going to be. This is David versus Goliath. Why do they say? Because everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. Why? Because it's so dramatic. He's a giant. He's so big. Nine foot six inches tall. The head of his spear weighs 15 pounds. You know, he's got this, he's just, and David's just this scrawny little kid. And he beats him. It's dramatic. I know I'm being dramatic this morning, aren't I? What happens is many times we think of our lives as being too common for God to do something dramatic. Well, I'm too common for God to do something dramatic. I'm just little old me. You know, I was thinking of the story of Gideon. When God called Gideon in Judges 6, 11 through 16. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. And 
while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the men. So this guy's scared. He's threshing wheat in the wine press because he doesn't want anybody to see him because he's afraid the gang's going to come and take it from me. And the angel Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So Gideon was saying, I'm too common for God to use me in a dramatic way. He said, I'm too common. He said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my father's house. Who am I to be used by God in a powerful way? God said, listen, it's not about you. It's about me being with you. And so Gideon, there's a hilarious story when God brought the victory through Gideon over the Midianites in Judges 7, 12 through 15. It says, Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companions. So he's visiting the spying on the enemy army. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian, the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped and returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And so the guy's vision, as he says, uh, To my surprise, I saw a loaf of barley bread tumble into the camp and knock this tent over. What he's saying is that Gideon was the loaf of barley bread. Barley bread was the cheapest bread you could get. It was the Walmart great value bread, okay, if I could put it in today's terms. You know what I'm talking about, great value? Everybody know what great value is? It was the Walmart great value bread, 99 cents, or whatever it is. He said, I saw a Walmart great value bread tumble into the camp and knock a tent over. And what he's saying is that it wasn't the bread. It was the power of God behind it. The commonness of the bread wasn't the issue. It was what God was doing in the bread. You know, another thing about that is it says it tumbled into the camp. It wasn't Gideon's strategy. It wasn't his genius. It wasn't his anything. He just tumbled into it. Listen, I do everything I can to try to be organized, to try to plan things, but a lot of things I just tumble into. I stumble through life, and God helps me. 
doesn't mean I don't make mistakes, and it's not an excuse for being disorganized. It's not an excuse for not planning. But, you know, even after you plan, if you do everything you know, you, there's a part of you, you have to have God move for you. You need God. Loaf of great value bread tumbled into the camp and won the victory. Okay. Moving on. You know, some people here today, you don't step out in faith because you feel like you're too common. You don't believe for great things because you feel like you're too common. Welcome to the club. We're, we're all Walmart great value bread, okay? I should have that across my forehead. Walmart great value bread. <laughs> Jesus doesn't see common in our lives. He doesn't see you as being common. He sees something unique and special about you. You know, when Peter has a vision for God to send him to the Gentiles, in Acts chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, most of you know the story. Uh, Peter's into this trance. He's sleeping. He sees a vision of the four-footed beast uh, lay down. You know, said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. You know, he has this vision. God's trying to get him to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So in Acts 10, 13 through 16, it says, a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. For I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. He says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Has Jesus cleansed you this morning? Let me ask again. Do you all need to get saved or what? <laughs> We can have an altar call right now, I guess. Has Jesus cleansed you this morning? Then you are no longer common. You're something unique in the eyes of God. Nothing I like about this is this was done three times. How many of you know something about Peter in three times? Three times he denied the Lord. Three times the Lord said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times. Why? Because we don't, we don't always get it the first time, do we? Aren't you glad God does it three times and 3,000 times sometimes to get us to get it? But listen, God does dramatic things in common people. Thinking about the Gadarene demoniac. He's the crazy homeless guy on the street corner. Nobody can tame, nobody can do anything with him. In Mark 5, 2 through 5, it says, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. So here's a man who's agonizing in himself. He's tormented in his spirit. He's suicidal. He's cutting himself with You know, he was the first cutter. One of the first cutters. You know, they're a cutter, you know. There's a lot, been a lot, maybe some of you are cutters. He's cutting himself. He's tormented. He hates himself. Jesus sets him free. And in Mark 5, 15, it says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
It was dramatic. His conversion was dramatic. Wow, did you see that guy? That guy that had the demons? That guy was running crazy? He's sitting right there, clothed in his right mind. It was dramatic. And he was as common, as common as you can get. Maybe he was a little bit uncommon the way the nature of, of, of his craziness, but how many homeless people do we see? How many crazed out drug addicts do we see? You know, that are all over America, all over the world today. But yet Jesus made, you know, if you read that story, Jesus went over there in the boat, set this man free, and they asked him to leave. So the only reason he went over, the, went over there in the boat, matter of fact, that's where they had the storm. They went through the storm. The only reason he went over there was this common homeless guy that needed deliverance. That's the only reason Jesus made the trip. That's the only reason he brought the disciples. So don't ever think, oh, I'm too common for God to move in. I want to end and talk about waiting for our dramatic moments. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you can read Psalm 78 on your own and talks about how God's people didn't remember what God had done. It says in Psalm 78, uh, 41 through 43, it says, Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy, and when he worked signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. It says they limited God because they didn't remember his power. Don't limit God in your situation. Don't limit God in what you're going through today. Remember how God has moved in your life in the past. Remember your exodus out of Egypt. Remember how God has moved for you in the past when you're up against your own problems. All of us experience great problems that can cause fear and anxiety. But just like the children of Israel, we can trust God and his faithfulness to work in our lives. Prophet Isaiah prayed a prayer to God for his problems of his time. In Isaiah 8, verses 17 and 18, he says, And I will wait on the Lord, who hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Now, Isaiah's prayer is very real. Because number one, he says, I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, I will hope in him. What's he saying? He said, my deliverance hasn't come yet. He said, it hasn't happened yet. He said, God's hiding his face, or it feels like he's hiding his face. But then he says, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me, for we are for signs and wonders in Israel. There's a hope in Isaiah that, you know what, I know what you've done in the past, and I know what you can do in the future. And I believe somewhere, God, you're going to move for us. God, you're going to do something. And that's what I want to give you. I understand many people, you, you could be having intense problems. They could be financial. They could be marriage. They could be, you know, all kinds of things you could be going through this morning. Don't forget what God has done. Don't limit God by not remembering what he's done in the past. And believe that you are for signs and wonders in Israel. No matter how common you may feel, no matter how ordinary you may feel, God has set you for signs and wonders. 
Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Appreciate you all this morning. Before we go on with this service, I just wonder if there's anyone here that you need a miracle in your life. If somebody came here today, perhaps you need a miracle. Need the miracle of the forgiveness of sins. Need the miracle of deliverance in your life. You've tried things on your own and it hasn't worked. The enemy just beating up on you. Children of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians. Their life was made very hard. It became worse right before they were delivered. Sometimes our lives get worse right before the good thing begins to happen. The darkest hour is always before the dawn. And maybe your life has reached a place where you say, I don't know what I'm going to do. My back is up against the wall. God wants to work a miracle in you today. And that miracle begins when you turn to God and you cry out to him. It says the children of Israel early in the book of Exodus cried out to God because then they groaned before the Lord and the Lord heard them. God hears your cries for help, but he wants to hear you cry to him. Not just the sorrow, not just, oh, I'm doing so bad, but you cry out to God, I need your help in my life. God, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of trying to plan out my own life. I'm tired of calling my own shots and winding up in the trouble that I'm in. If you're here this morning and you need salvation, you've never been born again, or perhaps you're here and you're backslidden this morning, and you need to come back to God. God is here. He's ready for a dramatic moment in your life. He can work a miracle in you if you'll respond to him. If that's you this morning and you need to be saved or you need to repent from being backslidden, you slip up your hand, put it right back down. Say, yes, that's me. I need God this morning. Be honest before God. There's someone here this morning. You need God. God will help you. If you will humble yourself and lift up your hand, God will work a miracle in your life. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. God sees that hand, man. Hallelujah. Anybody else? You be honest before God. This one that raised your hand, would you lift your hand to look at me, man? Lift your head and look at me. Did you mean that this morning? I believe you did. We want to pray with you. Come up. We want to pray with you. God's going to help you this morning. And we're not trying to put you on the spot, but God wants to work a miracle in your life. Church, this morning, I, I don't know what happened to me yesterday. I had planned, and God knows I don't like getting out of my comfort zones, uh, but I try to be obedient. And Here, just, just kneel down right here, man. God's going to help you, okay? There's people here, you're facing these impossible, you don't know what you're going to do, you know, impossible circumstances and just things you have no answers for. God's a dramatic God. He can move a drama- in a dramatic way in your finances. He can move in a dramatic way in your marriage. He can move in a dramatic way in your family. Don't forget the power of God. We limit God because of what we're not seeing right now. Just like when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and Pharaoh began to pursue them. Oh, God brought, us, brought me out here to kill me. We begin to ascribe the worst things towards God. That, you know, oh, this situation is here to do me in. 
No, God's never left you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And he'll help you. And so you need to believe God for your dramatic moment. God, you're a dramatic God. I'm asking you to work in my life. Some of you need to make an altar this morning. Say, God, I'm asking you to work in a dramatic way. And ask it by faith. Instead of thinking, I'm too common. Instead of thinking, it's just me. How about where Jesus says that what I have cleansed, you must never call common. You must never call common if I've cleansed you. You're not common. You're a child of God. Just like that barley bread that tumbled into the camp and knocked over the enemy's tent. God can use your life no matter how common you are. And you need to believe God for your miracle this morning. Amen. Let's make an altar today and uh, sing a worship song. Hallelujah.